0: welcome to the romantic side of suspense with sarah hammerker in each episode she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors they will take you behind the scenes of the writing process giving excerpts from their writing and share stories about their writing life
1: hello and welcome to the romantic side of suspense i'm your host sarah hammerker and i'm so glad you joined me This episode, you're going to hear about this month's new releases in Christian Romantic Suspense. I hope you will enjoy hearing from your favorite Romantic Suspense authors as they talk about the background of their latest books. Next up, we have Mary Alford with her book, Amish Wilderness Survival. So welcome back to my show, Mary.
2: Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm happy to be here.
1: So we're going to talk about um, Amish wilderness survival, and we're going to start with your heroine. Why did you pick her name?
2: I chose the name Leora because I was looking for something different than the normal Amish names that you read about. And I came across Leora, and I just I thought it was really pretty. And I did a little research on it and realized that it's called, it actually means compassion and light. And I thought both of those attributes really fit Leora completely. She's so compassionate, and she just has this light that draws people to her.
1: Oh, that's neat. Yeah, I love finding out, like, kind of the names. Sometimes we just, as authors, we just fall in love with the name. But, yeah, it's, it's nice that you, that you, you love the name, and then you're like, wait, and it fits the character. I always love when that happens. Too. So let's switch over to your hero. And what is holding him back from finding love?
2: Fletcher Shetler is my hero, and he has had his heart broken recently. Fletcher was supposed to marry another Amish girl from his community. He lives in the West Kootenai Amish community of Montana. And they were going to get married until right before the wedding, she decides that she doesn't want to remain in West Kootenay. She wants to travel and see the world. Of course, this broke Fletcher's heart because he has deep roots in the community. He has four brothers and a mother that live there. His family business actually is several generations old. They make handcrafted furniture, but they also mill their own lumber for the furniture. So he has a lot of roots there, and he has just recently started a business with his good friend Ethan Connors, and they train search and rescue dogs for the county search and rescue team. So it really was hard for Fletcher to just realize that he and Catherine weren't going to make it. But in the end, his roots were too deep to just give up and just pull up and move. But Fletcher also is wondering if maybe he's just not the type to be married. Maybe he's going to be on his own for the rest of his life until he meets Leora, and then everything changes.
1: Oh, well, that—that's a great tension for this, for the story, but we know because we all have happily ever afters, it will come to good, but you'll have to read the book readers to figure out how that happens. So, yeah, exactly. Um, So now we're going to switch to the villain, Um, and you can, you know, use a generic pronoun if you don't (laughs) want to give away the gender of your villain, but who or what does your villain in Amish wilderness survival love the most?
2: Well, he's about money, and I'm going to give it away, I'm sorry. He's about money. He is driven by greed. Um, The villain is Zeke Bowman, and he is driven by greed because he has his own transportation business, and he has been transporting drugs across the country using his business, and that's how he um, is making money, basically. Mm. The drugs to, to fuel, to make money. And and Leora's brother worked for him for a while, and when Tanner found out what he was doing, he reached out to his good friend Ethan Connors to try and um, let him know what was going on, and that brought Ethan onto Bowman's radar, and soon both men end up getting kidnapped, and it's up to Leora and Fletcher to find out what's really going on and find them before Bowman can kill them.
1: Oh. Yeah, well, money can make us do things we are not proud of, that's for sure.
2: Sad <laughs> yeah, but true. Yeah.
1: So let's switch to the story setting. You already mentioned that it's set in um, in Montana. So why did you pick that particular setting for your story?
2: Um, well, I picked it actually originally. I've written six other books in this particular Amish community of West Kootenai, and I just mm. love the fact that it's in the mountains. I love writing about the mountains. There's something both spiritual and sensible about mountains. And yes. they seem to create their own weather. That it can go from sunny one second to snowing the next. For me, it seemed like the weather and the, and the mountains kind of created an additional villain to the story. So it's the weather. Along with the villains, stand in the way of the hero and heroine finding their happily ever after.
1: Yeah. Um, and what what do you think was the, for you? What was the hardest part of writing Amish Wilderness Survival?
2: I think for me, the hardest part was writing about Leora's struggles, and she's gone through many things in her life. When she and her brother Tanner, they're twins, they were teenagers their parents died in a fire, and it was later ruled arson. it, It seems like the person that was responsible for the arson was a close friend to theirs, so it was like an added blow to them to know that somebody they trusted was actually responsible for the fire that killed their parents. And Leora and Tanner moved to Colorado to be close to their aunt and uncle, and soon after, Tanner leaves the Amish faith and Leora's kind of like a mother figure to him, and so she's worried to death about him. He later joins the um, military and where he, becomes, um, work, he works for Ethan Connors. So they're together, and Ethan kind of takes them under his wing and protects him. So she trusts Ethan, and they become good friends like that. But there's some more things going on in Leora's life. She's gone through two different bouts, with breast cancer, and she's just recently finished all of her treatments for the most current bout, so she's still weak, she's still struggling, and she believes that there's a time stamp on her life that she will probably not live long because she's worried the cancer will, will return and claim her life. So when she finds herself falling for Fletcher, she's worried that, well, maybe she shouldn't because. What if she does fall in love, they get married, and he has to watch her die? So she doesn't want to think about that. She doesn't want him to have to go through that.
1: Mm. Yeah, that, that does does be hard to write, those kind of characters, with a, yes. very authentically. So, yeah. So um, now the last question to leave with our listeners is, what is your book's tagline? Okay.
2: It is, to stay alive, she must... Ex- gave a killer's clutches when her brother goes missing leora mass will do anything to find him even if it means putting her life in danger
1: oh another good tagline listeners well thank you for being on my show mary
0: thank you
1: and now we have Lori winter she's going to be talking about her new book Safeguarding the Witness. So welcome to my show, Lori.
3: Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Well, we're going to start with the heroine, ladies first. So um, how does your heroine feel about love at the beginning of Safeguarding the Witness?
3: So um, the heroine, Kayla, has basically given up on love. She had a pretty broken relationship with her father growing up, which taught her not to trust.
2: Mm -hmm. And then the
3: hero, Nicholas, broke her heart in high school Um, so she is just happy kind of living single Um, she's an art teacher she has a therapy dog named Sasha who you know they visit hospitals and sick kids so you know um, I feel like she deserves more and she will get more throughout the story Um, but I think overall like she's kind of given up on falling in love and has kind of come to terms with that okay All right,
1: and so let's switch to your hero. What's holding him back from finding love?
3: So um, my hero, Nicholas, has convinced himself that he is just too busy to fall in love. He is a professional bodyguard, and he owns his own business in um, Los Angeles area. So he is just, you know, too busy to find a soulmate, fall in love. Um, But in reality, he's been in love with the heroine Kayla since high school, And no other woman has really lived up to um, his ideal of which would be her. And and he also figures he's had a chance with her and blew it. Um, But lucky for him, he gets another chance with her um, to make things right and to prove he's a man worthy of her trust.
1: Oh, great. So now we always get to talk about the villain, because they do play a central role in our romantic suspense novels. So, who or what does your villain love the most? And feel free to not give away the gender if you wish.
3: Okay. All right. Yep. Got to keep that top secret. Um, got to read the book to find out who the villain is. But, <laughs> yes, um, of course. Anyway, so the villain in Safeguarding the Witness is a very ordinarily ordinary person, um, but greed has corrupted them, and which would cause a person to do some things that maybe they ordinarily wouldn't do. So um, <laughs> the villain in the story... Uh, kills, kidnaps, steals—basically, um, all for greed, the love of money. Mm, yeah,
1: and we all know that—that uh, that that's a—that's not a good thing.
3: <laughs> nope.
1: So, so what about the setting? Where is your story set, and why did you pick that location?
3: Um, yeah. So I. So the setting for safeguarding the witness is a. Um, Town I invented called Snowberry Montana, and Snowberry is set in the Bitterroot Mountain Range. I really like stories or books that where the setting is so rich that it feels like it's almost another character in the book. Mm. So I tried to do that with um, my my town of Snowberry in Montana. I've never personally been to Montana, but I I love the the area. It just fascinates me. Um, and I try to use, you know, the rugged landscape, the mountains, the unpredictable weather to enhance the story and um, hopefully add an extra layer of suspense.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's great. So what was the hardest part of writing, of writing Safeguarding the Witness?
3: Um, so, you know, getting a, the suspense storyline is always tough. But I find writing the satisfying romance the hardest part um, when writing Mm. romantic suspense. And, you know, in order for the reader to get really invested in the story and root for the hero and heroine, they have to feel the emotions and understand where the characters are coming from. Um, So I try to write both Kayla and Nicholas as the reader obviously sees that they're perfect for each other. Um, And then, you know, you have to have some huge obstacles standing in their way so that. Um, you know they kind of feel like a happy ever after isn't going to work for them um, but I hope I did a good job in the story to kind of bring Kayla and Nicholas's love story to life
1: yes yeah wow Do readers so, and listeners you'll have to read to find out if she did and <laughs> let's let's end our little um, interview with what's one thing you want readers to know about safeguarding the witness
3: Um, Yeah, so first, I would like to say that Safeguarding the Witness is my debut Harlequin book. So I'm really excited to um, bring a story to Harlequin readers. Um, And secondly, I'd I'd like readers to know that, you know, along with pulse-pounding, action, and suspense, um, the book deals with some strong emotions, such as regret and forgiveness. Um, The heroine Kayla's been really wronged in the past. She's got a a tender and well-protected heart. And... um, you know, at the beginning of the story, her father has asked her to come home to take care of or help her sister um and she kind of resists that because she doesn't have a good relationship with her father. But you know, when she answers his call, she ends up it ends up starting her on a path towards forgiveness and healing. Mm, that sounds wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing
1: about your book on my show today, Laurie.
3: Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you.
1: And next up, I have Kimberly Woodhouse, and she's going to talk about her latest book, 26 Below. So welcome to my show, Kimberly. Thank you. Um, We're going to start with your heroine, and I'm always interested to know why you picked her name. Why her name for this
2: book?
0: Well, Darcy Phillips is the heroine in 26 Below, and one of my very dear friends and crit partners for 15-plus years is Darcy Gudger, And I just thought it would be fun to name a character after Darcy and to have her curly fun hair. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, that, that's great. I love that. I love that. And so let's switch over to your hero. We love our heroes in romantic suspense. Yeah. So what is his favorite snack?
0: The hero in the book, Jason, loves to eat. He just loves to eat. So he has found the best restaurants in Fairbanks to eat at, and one of his favorite things is crab mac and cheese.
1: Oh, that does sound tasty. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. So, since we write romantic suspense, we have villains. Um, and feel free to, you know, cloak his, his or her identity if how you want to. But why did you decide <laughs> to make this particular villain your villain in this story? He actually
0: is a fascinating person to me. I really have done a lot of studying into psychopaths and sociopaths, and mm. I've just a lot of criminal, you know, the forensic psychology and just a lot of the other psychology behind it. It's been fascinating for me to open up that, that door of research. But I have several friends who have been deeply affected by family members that have addiction issues and mental health issues. Mm. And so the villain is incredibly smart, incredibly smart, but he has issues. And so it shows how all of that has brought forth what he has become and what he now believes in the book. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. It is fascinating sometimes to delve in delve behind the scenes for our characters that way. Yeah. So let's move on to the setting. How does your setting move the story forward?
0: Well, Alaska is one of my very favorite places and we lived there for several years. And so, Half of my 30-plus books, I think, are all set in Alaska. Mm. Because when I teach classes, I always talk about how your setting should be strong enough to be another character. And you definitely could not take this book out of Fairbanks, Alaska, and plop it somewhere else, and it actually work the same <laughs> the same way. Um, per the title, 26 Below, we obviously are dealing with cold winter temperatures. And there is a threat coming, and Alaska is also very remote. Alaska is also very large. Most people don't realize how large the state actually is. So all of those pieces come into play in the story, and I just love Alaska, so I love writing about it.
1: Yeah, that is that is great. And for those of us who probably will never visit Alaska, it's always wonderful to read about it, even in fiction. Yeah. <laughs> So let's switch to the storyline. What was the genesis of 26 Below? What got you thinking about writing a story like this? This is
0: really a fun genesis story because, like I said, I've been writing about Alaska for many years. And back in, I think, 2009, my husband is a great brainstormer. And he just told me one night, he's like, hmm, what would happen if all the power goes out when it hits 26 Below in Alaska? And that just started the wheel turning. Mm. And I had um, three stories planned out, you know, for the series. And I kind of put it on the back burner because I write a whole lot of historicals. And so I was working on those and I was ready to bring my contemporary suspense back out. And I think this is actually classified like as a thriller. And my son in law is a cybersecurity specialist for the army. And so picking his brain it was really fun to bring the whole cyber element in because this is this is our world now right this is everything yes. so the whole series is the Alaskan Cyber Hunters and he really brought the finishing touches for me to bring all of it
1: together so it's really kind of fun uh, yeah yeah that is fun especially when you have uh knowledge within your family <laughs> that's the <Yes>. best kind <laughs> So now we're going to close our little interview with uh, what is the tagline for 26 Below?
0: A curse, a killer, a chill in the air, temps are dropping, and time is running out. Ooh, that's great.
1: Well, thank you for being on my show, Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. And next up, we have Tanya Stowe talking about her new book, Yosemite Firestone. So welcome to my show, Tanya.
4: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: So let's dive in and talk about your heroine. What did she want to be when she grew up, and did she become that person? Um,
4: My heroine was kind of unusual in that she had a mother that um, suffered from bipolar disorder and um it kind of struck her as she got older and so her goal was just to be um balanced and healthy and happy and um yes she made it
1: <laughs> good i'm glad to hear that um yeah living with a, a parent with mental yeah with mental challenges can be i know can be very difficult so let's switch over to your hero what what is your hero's greatest fear in this book
4: uh, my hero was a world-class uh, rock climber, and he was one of the best in his field. And after an accident, he was not able to climb very well, at least to free climb. And his greatest fear was that he would never be able to climb again. Um, so, of course, in this story, they do a lot of climbing. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what I <laughs> enjoy to, about
0: the
1: museum. Yes, yes. We definitely have to have to help, help our heroes and heroines conquer their greatest fear. So mm-hmm. let's move on to the villain, because writing suspense, there has to be a bad person, and you don't have mm-hmm. to tell us if it's a male or female, but who or what does your villain love the most?
4: Well, unfortunately, he loves himself the most, um, mm-hmm. and he's pretty much green with envy um, of, the, um, of the hero. And uh, even before the story starts, they have some backstory. And when the hero fell and had his accident... Um, the villain took his place and became the primary climber uh, internationally known, and he just kind of slid into his slot, and And he had everything going for him, and it wasn't enough. He had to have more, and he was just consumed with um, envy and greed, and just it just overwhelmed him and completely consumed him, kind of why I think he doesn't have any redeeming qualities. So
1: You're right well you know sometimes when we let um, let sin run amok like that it does can consume us so yeah yeah let's switch to the setting I know from the title that it must be set in Yosemite but why did you want it why did you pick that setting
4: well um, I've been a California resident most of my life so I had visited Yosemite many times but I'm now a a full-time RV person. I I live in my RV and we travel the country. So one of the neat things about that lifestyle is that I'm able to spend a lot of time in certain places and really, instead of just being a tourist, getting getting all the highlights, I get to stop and and be a part of it. So we first moved into that area. We live now about 40 minutes south of, um, of Yosemite. And one of the first things that I discovered when I was able to spend more time there was that in the fall... After the massive amounts of people who come into the Yosemite Valley leave, then climbers from all around the world come to climb the granite cliffs in Yosemite. It's a month-long event. They stage all kinds of really neat adventures. And then at the end of the event, all of the climbers break into teams and they comb the entire valley picking up trash and helping the park rangers clean it up for the winter, and be prepared for the next year. I just thought that was the neatest, coolest thing I'd heard, and I just I thought, i got to write about that. I just think that's fabulous, and I loved it.
1: Yeah, now that, that's a great story, and I'm sure it's interesting to see how you wove that into your suspense story. So, um, But don't tell us anymore, because we nope. want people nope. to read your book. So now, <laughs> what is the underlying positive message of your book?
4: You know... Um, I, I'm finding as I write more and more books that I tend to write about generational sin, not only on how it how it impacts us um, physically, emotionally, and then actually inheriting. I, obviously in this story, my heroine did have that propensity to have bipolar disorder and she was battling that. And I tend to write that a lot. And so for me... Several of my stories have that theme, and I'm even working on another one. It just keeps popping up in my mind. On the, mm. different, you know, like we have the physical inherited traits, and then we have the environmental traits that come from our family that gets handed down, and then we have the biological ones that, you know, just uh, we have a tendency towards alcoholism, or we have the chemistry set right. up for um, for bipolar disorder. And I find that I write about that because the ongoing positive message for me always is that. That's not what Jesus intends for us. And we can rise above that if we have him by our side. And that tends to be kind of one of the things I always write about, how they find a path through those difficulties, whether they're environmental or physical, by walking with Jesus. That's just something that yeah. I have now this I'm on my like 25th or 26th book, and I'm just now finding that out. Isn't that clever? Of me? <laughs> I, I think
1: that's great, and that's such a wonderful message that we can all, all um, I think, embrace and learn more about. Um, now, let's leave the, our listeners with what is the tagline for Yosemite Firestorm?
4: The tagline is "A raging raging forest isn't the only threat."
1: Ooh, that's great. Well, thank you for being on my show, Tanya. And you can pick up her book um, and find a link to buy it in the notes to this podcast.
4: Thank you very much, Sarah. It was great visiting with you again.
1: And next up, we have Megan Scene, and she's going to talk about her book, Expired Hope. So welcome to my show, Megan. Thanks for having me. We're going to start with the heroine. Uh, what did you want your heroine to be when she grew up, and did she become that person?
5: She wanted to be a soldier and a counselor. Her mom was a soldier, and she wanted to follow in her mom's footsteps. And then a counselor had helped her father uh, deal with some stuff in the past, and she wanted to be. A person in the future that would help others prevent the pain her family had went through. So, and yes, yeah, she did get to do both of those things. However, she got injured and she was no longer a soldier when the story takes place.
1: Oh, okay. I see the tension already set up. Ooh, good. <laughs> so, let's talk about your hero. Where did your hero grow up?
5: He grew up where the town um, of the story takes place. It's called Last Chance County. And he's coming back. Um, he wants a place to belong, but he is um, afraid that he's not going to be welcome due to some things in the past and what people remember him by.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes our pasts are not quite as um, pristine as we would want them to be.
4: <laughs>
3: no, <laughs> you know, no, that's
1: so. not. <clears throat> no, that's a, that's a great great tension there already. So let's switch to the villain with romantic suspense. We always have the bad person, and feel free to use the third person if your villain needs to stay hidden for your story. So who or what what does your villain love the most?
5: Um, I'm going to go with himself. Um, He's wrapped up in his mindset, and he's only focused on getting what he thinks he deserves.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see why that would not go over well in some situations. No, no. <laughs> not at all. So then you mentioned already mentioned that um, this is set in Last Chance County. So
5: what was the biggest
1: challenge in writing the book in that setting?
5: Well, this world is actually Lisa Phillips's world. She has a whole um series of books in this world, and so mm-hmm. I had to make sure everything was authentic, not only for the fire station and firefighters um but also for her locations and her characters to make sure uh, I'm not misrepresenting her town that she made up that was That was the most struggle for me
1: and what what does that is it in a particular state I can't recall.
5: Um, I think it's just the northwestern part of the United States.
1: Okay, okay. All right, good, thank you. And what about the storyline? What was, to you, what was the hardest part of writing Expired Hope?
5: The hardest part, uh, it's my first suspense. So I was already adding a bunch of pressure on myself to figure out how to do that, even though Lisa helped mentor me through this process. But also for the backstories of some of the characters, they hit home on some of my extended family. And so I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that emotion was displayed correctly on the page. And I added a lot of pressure to myself. And then I had to remember it's not about me. So uh, God help me to get this hopefully right. And if not, um, my, the readers will let me know. So <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be a great story. So then we're going to end with what's one thing you want readers to know about Expired Hope?
5: Um, Though the title says Expired Hope, our hope is found in Christ, and the characters have to go through what we have to go through and to live for the future. Remember, we're not stuck in our past and that there's healing in the process.
1: That's a wonderful theme for your book. So thanks for being on my show, Megan.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
1: hi and welcome to my show i'm talking now with jamie joe wright the vanishing at castle moreau is her newest book so welcome to my show jamie joe and thank you so much for having me so we're going to dive right in and give readers a little glimpse into um into your newest book so if your heroine has or could have a pet what would it be and what is the pet's name well, if anybody knows me, they know how much I love cats. And so I had to give my heroine a cat that travels with her everywhere she goes. And her her cat is a, a fluffy, long-haired tiger cat um, named Murphy. And it's the the one thing in life that she can talk to and be completely honest with. Ah, oh, I love it. I'm a cat lover myself. So yay for cats <laughs> as pets. All right, so um, what is your hero's favorite snack? Okay, so my hero, I have two of them because I have two timelines. Mm -hmm. Um, But the hero who has a favorite snack is the one from the present day, and his name is Deacon. And if he were going to have a snack constantly by his side, it would be black licorice sticks. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Lots of munching opportunities mm-hmm. with that while you're thinking. Lots of munching, and that's, that's kind of his personality type. He's more of a, a muncher, but he's got kind of like that, you know, let's go classy candy, like yeah, Black licorice is smooth Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, why did you decide to make the villain the villain in your story? The villain in my story is very mysterious. And one of the things that I I wanted to do with my villain is make it full of question marks, the Mm. kind where you weren't sure if you wanted to like them or despise them, whether you could trust them or whether they were going to turn and just completely stab you in the back. And so it was a really fun villain to write when I had to really dive into their psychology and and make them creepy. Yeah, I'm getting shivers just listening to that. <laughs> Great. So let's let's talk about the story setting. What made you pick this particular setting for your book? Well, it sounds very gruesome, but I picked a castle because I was reading about serial killers. <laughs> and I was introduced to a serial killer who was a Hungarian countess from the, 16th, or, sorry, the 17th century, so the 1600s. And she was known for... Um, probably the deaths of a couple hundred women who would visit the castle or work at her castle and just vanish. And so that gave me kind of this idea of a castle where women start to vanish. But what would happen if it happened over the course of more than one lifetime? So is the castle cursed? or is there something else going on? And so that's why I chose a castle. But then all my stories are set in the Midwest of America, and we do have castles in Wisconsin and Michigan areas. So. Oh, huh. little known fact. That's, that's kind right? of cool. Yeah, so um, what, why did you decide to write this particular story? What drew you to the, the themes or the storyline? Besides that you read yeah, the book on so- the serial killer. <laughs> Well, yeah, right. No, there is actually a spiritual theme, <laughs> which is probably the more critical part of the book. Um, actually, I wrote this story because um, I I found it interesting as as women, and, and it's specifically geared toward women in that we grow up looking for the castle and the knight in shining armor, and it seems so mm-hmm. often we hit a certain point in life, and the knight in shining armor turns into a monster, and the castle turns into no longer a place of refuge and romance, but instead it's a place of shadows and mystery and trial. And I wanted to show the contrast between the two and then answer the question, can you find a refuge, which is different than a rescue. A rescue is a removal from the trial or the tribulation, but a refuge is a place to hide during the storm and a place of peace. And what does God offer? And so that's, that's really kind of the thrust of this book. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, very interesting. So we're going to close out our short interview today with what's one thing you want readers to know about The Vanishing at Castle Moreau? I would love readers to know that while my books are definitely designed to be creepy and mysterious and very gothic, um, they're not horror or terrifying. So mm-hmm. there may be some scenes where you need to leave a light on, but I don't like to go into the so dark places where you're you know gruesome and you're jumping behind the couch and you can't come up. There's always a light of hope. And I like to compare my books to Scooby-Doo. There's the ghost or the monster, and then there's the person beneath the mask. Ah, that's a great great um, visual I think for your for your book so thanks for being on my show Jamie Jo thanks so much for having me Sarah hi and next up we have Natalie Walters and she's going to be giving us a little bit of an insight into her new book blind trust so welcome to my show Natalie hi Sarah it's nice to be here so we're going to start with um, a question about your heroine. So what? how does your heroine feel about love
6: at the beginning of Blind Trust? My heroine, Lila Fox, is not um, looking for love, I guess. She definitely has feelings for um, one of the characters, uh, Nicholas Garcia, but it love for her kind of is a it's going to get in the way. And so she does not look for it. She does not uh, need it, even though there is a yearning for it. Okay,
1: great. Go. Way to set up that nice, nice, nice tension. So now we're going to jump to the <laughs> hero and um, you're going to tell us what is your hero's favorite snack?
6: My hero, uh, Nicholas, is he is a health fanatic. He likes all of the things healthy. So his pref- preference for snack would be something like kale chips, or what we um, what he is act- actually a joke in the book um, salad in a cup, which is smoothies that are you know got a lot of healthy ingredients in it that pretty much everybody else on the team does not like. So he is very <laughs> very much conscientious of what he puts into his body.
1: Oh, and that can get that can that can create its own tension. <laughs> I, I, think. Yeah. <laughs> I think with that. All right, so since we write romantic suspense, we have villains, and you can definitely talk about your villain in the third-person plural if you don't want to give it away, um, if it's integral to your story. But what was the last book or movie your villain read or watched?
6: So the last um, – I decided to pick what was the last book that my okay. villain read, and that book is called In the Enemy's House uh, by Ooh. Howard Bloom.
1: um. <laughs> ah. So does that give you insight into – so now, readers, you can go check that book out and you can get some insight into yeah. the, the villain, <laughs> the villain in yeah, Blind yeah.
6: Trust. Yes, it's, it's, it's kind of a um, very vague, uh, uh, I guess, title on, on the book, but like has some indications of, you know, you know, how to be careful for the enemies that could be, you know, within your house. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: All right. So let's skip on down to the setting. So why
6: did you pick this uh, particular setting for this story? Well, so um, uh, Lila and Garcia are part of the Strategic Neutralization and Protection Agency, the SNAP agency, and they are sort of an um, a unsanctioned group that helps facilitate government agencies to protect the country from attacks that are known and unknown. And so there really wasn't a better city to place that in than Washington, D.C. Uh, it ha- they have access to all of the agencies, access to the government, and, um, and that kind of makes it – that city kind of makes it become its own target. And so it is kind of its own character in the story, and it just seemed fitting for, for, this, for this type of a story.
1: Right, yes, yes, definitely. Um, so how did you come up with this story? What's the, what's the genesis of Blind Trust?
6: Well, so the um this is the final book in the Snap Agency series. so readers will have um had a little bit of insight into Lila and Garcia's personality. Lila is very um, uh, impromptu and impulsive, and so I had to put her in a situation where she is driven by that impulsivity to get to the truth, and in that process, she becomes targeted herself. And so um I Kind of pulled from actually, there's a prequel to the series called Initium, and the story kind of rounds out from that that eventual or that novella to now, and just kind of closes up where the what started with the agency and how mm. it's going to come to this final conclusion. Oh, cool. So let's let's end our little chat today with what the stories, uh, what the book's tagline is. So the tagline for this particular book, which I really, really like, is dealing with bombs is dangerous, but working with Lila Fox is just as treacherous. Ooh, that's, that, that's, that's a very good ending.
1: Well, <laughs> I think you readers, you can find out more about Blind Trust is coming out um, later this month. And thanks for being on my show, Natalie. Thanks so much for having me. I
6: appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.